It's a question we all have, right? Christian, non-Christian, you can believe all kinds of different things, uh, but we all wonder. We all have questions. What happens after we die? So we're spending about four weeks talking about that question, trying to answer it from multiple uh, different ways, because I, I think Jesus has a lot to say about this. I think scripture has a lot to say about this. And sometimes um, we take, especially those of us, maybe I'm just talking for myself here, grew up in the church, you hear you know, what, what the preacher says, you read what scripture says, and then there's this thing over here in pop culture or from history or from art, and it's like, okay, we mix a little bit of this with a little bit of this, and we, we okay, is it Dante's Inferno? Is like that hell? Or, you know, all these different kind of things that, that come about, and it can be a little bit confusing. It can be a little muddy. So we're just going to, we're spending four weeks talking about what happens after we die, because as we saw last week, um, there's a lot of people Googling this. <laughs> And there's a lot of stuff online that's not exactly helpful. So I, th I thought we'd talk about this. I told you last week um, that we were going to take your questions and use those kind of as the basis for part three and part four of the message. Some of you sent in your questions last week about heaven. I have my work cut out for me next week. You sent in some good questions. Uh, but this week, if you were here last week, I told you uh, we were going to give you an opportunity to send in your questions about hell. My guess is there's going to be more questions about that than there are about heaven, but we'll see. So if you have a question about hell and you want me to tackle that, you want me to answer that, you want, me to, you want to wrestle with that together with us in part four, here's how you can get it to us. You can text ASKGP to 94000, or um, if you want to use the connection card, if you don't text your card, feel free to do this. To do that, drop it in the gray box um, as you leave. But I did not say this last week. I want to make sure I say it this week. These are anonymous, okay? I am not going to read your name with the question that you have, all right? So you can be completely anonymous in this. Um, if, 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 um, uh, if you're worried about that, don't let that hinder you, okay? So if you've got a question about hell, if there's, maybe there's something from your past, maybe a, a preacher said something years ago, and it's stuck like right here. And you can't get rid of it, and it's just burning a hole in your brain. I'd love to, to tackle that um, if you have a question like that. So that get us to get those questions to us um, about hell this week, and then we'll tackle that in part four of the series. Here's here's where we're going to start today. I want to um, to start by by thinking about eternity. Okay, and I'm going to answer all your questions about eternity in this five minutes, right? Okay, I want you to think about the the the, the time continuum. Okay, and this is this is actually something um, when it comes to, to to theologians and scientists, where Christian theologians have been ahead of the curve. Okay, because because Christian theologians have always believed that space and time is a part of the created order. And it's not until recently when it comes to history that scientists have come along and said, oh yeah, that's right. There was a time when there was no time. So Christian theology is actually um, ahead of this. But I want us to think about eternity, all right? Whether you're 12, whether you're 25, whether you're 46, whether you're 80, okay? We're all going to spend eternity somewhere. So I want you to think about it like this. Here is my illustration. This string represents eternity, all right? And the beginning of this string is what we'll call the beginning of, of, of time, okay? And some of you believe that was billions of years ago. Some of you believe that was thousands of years ago. Interesting conversation. 
Not what we're talking about today, okay? But this is the beginning of time. And I put a little dot right there that represents your life. Can you see that dot? That's the point. That's how insignificant your life is in the grand scheme of eternity, right? So encouraging. Aren't you glad you came to church today, right? So beginning of time, your life, and then the time continuum goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. This is the entire message today. This is all I'm doing. I want you to get it. This is eternity. It just goes on and on and on and on. Black hole. We just hit a black hole. It's on, okay? It just goes on and on and on and on and on forever, okay? Now, part of the reason we struggle with this is because our view of time is so skewed. And, and here's a couple examples of that. When I was five, our family moved from Argonia, Kansas to Salina, Kansas, and I remember it. It was one of, my, one of my most vivid memories from childhood because we got to take a U-Haul from Argonia to Salina. And I got to ride in the front of the U-Haul. It's like the biggest vehicle I've ever ridden in. I remember as a kid thinking, oh, I get to, I get to ride in a big old semi-truck. You know, that's kind of what I thought. But I thought the, 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 the trip from Argonia to Salina took about 10 hours. It was it was exhausting. Like the first six hours were great, but then I just got sick and tired of being in the truck. As a five-year-old, I wanted to be done, right? You know how long it actually took? Two hours. (laughs) Took about two hours, right? And isn't it funny how different seasons of life, time seems to go really slow? And then there's other seasons of life where time seems to go really, really fast. I I am a, a father to two teenage kids. And parents, especially those of you who have teenagers or adult children, isn't it true? Like, maybe this is just me, but didn't it feel like it took forever for them to get to five? Like, it feels like you're never going to stop changing diapers. (laughs) Like, that was my personal theology of hell, buying and changing diapers forever, (laughs) right? And it's just like, when are they, are they ever going to be able to tie their shoes? <laughs> are they ever going to be able to dress themselves? Are they ever going to be able to feed themselves, right? And then they hit grade school. And I blinked. And my son graduates from high school next year. What? Okay, when I was five, it took forever. But now that I got teenagers, it's like, where did the time go? Our, our brains, for some reason, I, don't, I, I can't explain it. But time is so skewed, so when we come to this idea of eternity, it's like, yeah, that's just a big pile of rope. That's like, it's helpful, but I can't get my mind around that. But here's why we're talking about it. It's kind of the whole basis of the series. Some of the decisions you make in this life will last forever. And I want you to wrestle with some of the most important questions some of the most important ideas, some of the most important things in this life because it's going to last forever. Like, like what you drive right now, you're, it's probably not going to last forever. I know you love your truck, guys. It's not going to last forever. Like some of the outfits you have, they're going to go out of style. Then they'll come back in style 30 years, so you might want to keep some of them, right? It's like the, 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 the decor of your house. It's not going to last 
forever. There are some things that just don't last forever, but there are things that do last forever. And I want us to think about this. If you've never thought about it, if, you, if it's not something that you've wrestled with before, I just want to put it right in front of you, because here's the weird thing. When it comes to you know, like our cars and our, our clothes and what we're doing after church today or what we're going to do this week, we spend more time thinking about that than we do thinking about eternity. We, we spend more time planning for all of this than we do about eternity. And I get it, because that stuff's urgent. That stuff's right in front of us. But there's a difference between urgent and important. And I want you to think about some of the most important things in, 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 in your life, decisions about eternity, specifically about what you do with Jesus. We're going to talk about that today. What you do about faith, what you really, really, really believe is important today. So I told you last week um, that, that we were going to talk about hell on Halloween, kind of joked about how I didn't plan it that way. Well, I was wrong. I actually didn't plan it that way. We're not going to talk about the day. I actually want to get a head start on next week. I'm not going to answer any of your questions um, about heaven. That's next week. Today, I want to um, ask and answer the question that I get asked the most, or I have been asked the most as a pastor over the last 20 years. It doesn't always get asked this way. Um, people ask it different ways for different reasons, but, but this is the thing that I think kind of the umbrella of the, the questions about heaven that I get the most. And here it is. How do you know there is a heaven? How do you know there is a heaven. And my knee-jerk reaction is, well, because the Braves are one game away from beating the Astros in the World Series. <laughs> and it's like, there is a God and good triumphs over evil type of thing there, right? But, but here's, here's my real answer. Um, how do you know there is a heaven? I don't. Let's close in prayer. We're done, right? I don't. Like, if, if, if I'm going to be intellectually honest, if we are going to be intellectually honest, I cannot sit up here, stand up here, and say 100% empirically true that anybody knows. I don't know that there's a heaven, but I believe deep in my bones that there is, in fact, a heaven. And if, if you're convinced there isn't, and we talked about this a little bit last week, like you just cease to exist, did you know that's just as much a belief system as mine is? Like atheism is a belief system. Agnosticism is a belief system. My understanding of eternity is a belief system. And, and there's this view of Christianity that basically says to be a Christian, you have to leave your brain at the door. Like don't think, don't question, don't let any doubts in. You just have to believe, which it's, it's not true. You don't have to leave your brain at the door. You can think. You can, you, can, you can gain knowledge to be a Jesus follower. You just look at history. Some of the brightest minds who have ever lived, some of the greatest contributions to mankind have come from people who have a Christian worldview and actually believe that Jesus is God. So to, this is part of the reason I want us to think about this. How do you know there's a heaven? I don't. And, and if you really want to get into like epistemology, like the study of knowing, a little bit of philosophy. How do you know you're actually like alive? How, how, how do you know you exist? How do you know anything is real? Those are interesting questions. And philosophers and theologians sit around and talk about that kind of stuff all the time. But like most things in life, it's not about knowing. It's about believing. The real question, the question underneath the question, 
is how much evidence is there for your belief system. And I think that's the, the incredible thing about Scripture, about history, about some traditions, about logic, about reason that we can go to and we can look at evidence that's actually there. Evidence about eternity, evidence about heaven. And I believe you can find the evidence that you're looking for to answer some of those questions. That's actually what we're gonna do in part three and part four of this series. But I don't know there's a heaven. I believe with every fiber of my being that there's a heaven and that the evidence points to the reality of heaven. And for some of you, that's good enough. For some of you, I could I just pray right here, close, and you're like, okay, that was, that was great. It was the best message ever. It was like 10 minutes. Awesome. But others of you, you need a little more than that. You have kids who need a little more than that. You have parents who need a little more of that. So talk to a guy after first service today. You got some siblings who need a little bit more than that. And so I want to talk to those of you who maybe need a little bit more than that. You may not think of yourself as this. You may not label yourself as this, but you're skeptical. You're skeptical about a lot of things, but you're especially skeptical about some of these things. And, and maybe, you know, you believe in Jesus. That's not it. But when it comes to the things about heaven and, and eternity, you're just skeptical. And listen, like, I'm kind of like you. Like skepticism isn't necessarily a bad thing because skepticism basically is just testing a belief. How do you know? How can you know? How can you be sure? How do you find that out? So I, I want to talk to those of you who are skeptics who are actually searching answers. I'm not really interested in skeptics who are just poking holes in beliefs to poke holes in beliefs. But for those of you who are skeptical and you just, you kind of want to know, you need a little bit more. You would say, you know, if you want me to believe with every fiber in my being that there's a heaven and that Jesus is the way, here's what would seal the deal for me. Here's what I would need to have. And, and for most of the time, whenever I have conversations with people, it boils, down, <laughs> it boils down to this. I would believe in heaven if someone gave back from the dead and told me. I need someone to show up to come back and tell me that heaven is real. I would believe if somebody did that. So the message today is really for, for you. For those of you who would think that, I just want to show you um, a few scriptures that talk about that exact thing, okay? So the first one actually comes from Jesus. Jesus told um, a, a parable. He told a story in Luke chapter 16. If you have a Bible or a mobile device, you want to follow along, we'll throw these up on the screen as well. But um, Jesus is... He's really challenging the Pharisees. He does this all the time, the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He's challenging them because he saw them putting their confidence in their wealth. He saw them putting their confidence in their, their property, their investments, their money, and their riches. And then he kind of breaks away from that, and he tells a story that goes to the question that we're asking today, that we're looking at today. So Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 19, says this. Jesus said... There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen. That was a sign of wealth in those days. And who lived each day in luxury. Now, pause right there. Um, we just need to, you need to know this. And if you've been around Grace Point for very long, you know I, I, I bring this before you often. Compared to first century standards, compared to modern day world standards, every single one of us in this room live in luxury every day. 
okay? I just want us to remember, because part of the temptation is we read things like this, and we think, that doesn't really have to do with me. It kind of does. There's, there's truth in here for us, as long as we don't check out. Verse 20, at his gate, the rich man's gate, lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. So he's, he's transported into eternity next to Abraham, one of the patriarchs of the Jewish faith. Okay? Jesus is Jewish. He's talking to a Jewish audience. So this is how they thought. But the rich man also died and was buried and he went to the place of the dead. So a couple things here. Um, some of you are familiar um, with, with Warren Buffett and his pledge and encouragement to extremely wealthy people to give away their wealth before they die. His, 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 his thought is, okay, you have so much money. There's no way that you can spend it in your lifetime. So why not give it away to good causes? And, and, and if you've, I've listened to both Warren Buffett and Bill Gates talk about this, and in convincing other billionaires to do this, do you know what the number one issue is in convincing them? Billionaires don't think they're going to die. They don't think they're going to die. And, and there's probably multiple reasons for that. But I just want to show you, Jesus blows up that myth right here. Like the rich man dies, all his money went to somebody else. Like how generous of him, right? He dies. And he goes to the place of the dead. Now, what's that? Your translation might say Hades. Um, in the Old Testament, it was Sheol. We'll, we'll talk more about that in part four. But it's clear as you read on, like this is not a place he wants to be. All right? Second part of verse 23 there, in torment. He saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. So look at this. There's a gap. There's a gap between where the rich man was and where Lazarus is just like there was a gap on earth between where Lazarus was and the rich man was. But it's switched this time. It's important to the story. Verse 24, the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here. I didn't need him on earth, but I need him now. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So Jesus, are you saying that rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven? Is this about works or deeds getting you into heaven? Come back to that in the coming weeks. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish, verse 26. And besides, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from there. And no one can cross over to us from there. And look where he goes with this. The rich man thinks, okay, if he's not going to help me, please, Father Abraham, at least send him, talking about Lazarus, to my father's home. For I have five brothers and I want him to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. <laughs> Would you please send Lazarus back from the dead to my family to tell them, guys, it's real. Like eternity is real. How does Abraham respond in the parable? Verse 29, but Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. 
In other words, hey, have you heard of Torah? Have you heard of the scriptures? Like all this was in there. But yeah, I, I didn't really pay attention at temple. Didn't really have time for that. I just thought it was a bunch of old manuscripts with mythical stories. I was too busy, too busy for temple. That's, that's just what the preacher says to get our money. The rich man responds, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. I know, I know I should have respected the Bible. Like, like my grandma told me not to put anything on top of it. Just leave it on the coffee table, right? I, I know I should have paid more attention in church, but come on. Surely, if somebody came back from the dead and told them, it would hold more weight than what the Bible says. Verse 31, but Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded. Even if someone rises from the dead. Now, there's so many layers to that statement right here, okay? But, but it's a parable, okay? So what's a parable supposed to do? It's supposed to make you think. And, and, and what does this parable make you think about our original thought? I, I would believe in eternity. I would believe in heaven if someone came back from the dead and told me. I just want you to see, Jesus already weighed in on this. And he said, no, you wouldn't. No, 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 you wouldn't. Because every time you hear about a near-death experience, you explain it away the same way you explain away Scripture. You think logically. You think this is, this, this is outside of my box. So that can't be true. It doesn't fit with what I believe. It doesn't make sense. Or, you know, you don't believe something like that can happen. So it's, it's fake news. It's not true. Jesus answered this question. 2,000 years ago. Second story. The Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the, of the New Testament, probably the best preacher, theologian, church planner in the first century. And he's in the middle of writing his second letter, which was actually his third letter, but that's another story. But he's writing his second letter to the church in Corinth. And he, he's teaching, he's correcting a number of issues. And, and just like today, like not everybody liked Paul. Like, not even everybody in the church liked Paul. <laughs> and, and, and so he's tried to defend himself a little bit. And in the middle of his defense, he just kind of drops this in there. And it's almost like it doesn't even make sense. But, but he just drops this little thing in there. Paul, um, if you know Paul's story, he had a radical conversion story. Uh, some of you have read this before in Acts chapter 9. Um, some of you are, you, you know that like some of these stories still happen today. Some of these stories are happening all over the Islamic world. Like people are, they're, they're not seeking Jesus at all, but Jesus is seeking them. And he's showing up in unbelievable ways, in unbelievable forms. And, and so Paul has an experience like that in Acts chapter nine. Um, another time uh, we read about this, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, where Paul talks about all of the hardship that he's gone through. He talks about the time that he was stoned. Paul was stoned and basically left for dead. And he just gets up, dusts himself off, you know, rubs some dirt on it, and he walks it off. Okay? And then he, 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 he slips this in in 2 Corinthians 12. He says, This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell 
I don't want to talk about this because you probably won't believe me anyway. You know, that's kind of the attitude behind it. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. And you say, I thought there was only one heaven. Like, I'd just be okay with the first one. What's the third, right? Well, the ancient view wasn't as clear-cut as our view is today. But the point is, he had some kind of supernatural experience. Most scholars will say he's describing what happened to him on the road to Damascus or what happened to him when he was stoned and left for dead. We don't know. Neither does Paul. Paul doesn't even know. Look what he says. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, he repeats it. Only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. And then he just slips right back in to teaching the way he normally did. But, but, but what is he saying here? Okay. I think one of the things he's pointing to, like if anybody, if anybody could have spent the rest of his life selling books and making movies and going on podcasts, talking about his supernatural experiences with Jesus, Paul was the guy. He was the guy. But he doesn't spend the majority of his writing. He doesn't spend the majority of his teaching and his preaching on that. He spends the majority of his life and time preaching and writing and teaching the same stuff that we talk about today. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to him. No one goes to the Father except through him. Surrender your life to him. You've been forgiven. You've been set free because you got a little bit of life here. And there's a whole lot of life ahead of you. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do with Jesus? Paul has multiple supernatural experiences. And he comes back to that experience every now and then. Not to tell people about the experience. To tell people about Jesus. Over and over and over again. Here's a guy who hated Jesus. He hated the church. And he comes into, he comes, he has, a, has an experience with the resurrecting Christ. And he spends the rest of his life telling people about him. Not the experience. And just like it was then, just like it was then, our world is full of people who would say, I believe, I'd believe someone would come back from the dead and tell me. Well, Paul did. Paul did. And yeah, we can, we, we, we can talk about Scripture. There's evidence for the validity of Scripture as well. We can talk about that. But what do you do with Paul? What do you do with Paul's experience? Last story. Four accounts of the life of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection. One of them, told, one of them is told by Luke, who was a Gentile physician. Wasn't Jewish, right? But he, he converted to following Jesus a decade or so after the resurrection. And, and, and Luke records not only the resurrection... But some things that happened in the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension to heaven. Jesus was as real and present as the person sitting next to you right now for that 40-day period. But it was kind of weird. It was a little bit different because he would, he would show up and then he'd be gone. 
The door would be locked, the windows would be shut, and all of a sudden, Jesus just, he was just there, okay? And here's one of the things that Luke records about one of those experiences. Luke 24, this is weeks after the resurrection. People are claiming that they'd seen Jesus alive, verse 35. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Now, why did he say that? Because the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Now, that might have just created a question for some of you. Ghosts? What? Verse 38, why are you frightened? He asked, why are your hearts filled with doubt? It's a great question. Why, why are your hearts filled with doubt? You saw me die. Like you mourned my death. For three days. And here I am in living color. Why are you still doubting? What more do you need? Jesus says, Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. And then I think Luke puts this last little bit in here for you and me. I think he put this last verse in here for future generations of Jesus' followers. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. You would think that disbelief and joy and wonder couldn't exist at the same time. But here it is. They were filled with, it's like, what? I know that's him. I can see the holes. I, I know that's Jesus. But what? Disbelief. Joy and wonder. The same time. So back to where we started. Have you ever said, have you ever thought, I'd believe in eternity, I'd believe in heaven, if someone came back from the dead and told me? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Someone did. That, like that, that's it, right? Like that's Christian. That's the whole enchilada. If Jesus didn't come back from the dead, our faith is useless. It's pointless. Why are we here today? Why did we sing these songs? Why do you believe in heaven? Why do you believe in Jesus? If he didn't come back from the dead, your faith is useless pointless. It's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. So the question, the question today is, if you would believe in eternity if someone came back from the dead, why don't you believe in eternity? More specifically, if you would believe in Jesus if someone came back from the dead, why don't you believe in Jesus? Because he did. And yeah, let's talk about the evidence, the evidence there. It's widely available to anybody and everybody who's interested. What are you going to do with it? What do you do with that? It's an important question because, again, eternity is really long. Your life, really short. It goes on and on and on and on forever. We'll talk more about that more specifically next week. We'll actually be talking about this until we die. But if you would believe in Jesus if someone came back from the dead, why don't you believe in Jesus? It's the most important question you'll ever wrestle with. 
And, and you know what? You may have already wrestled with that question. I know many of you have already answered that question. I, I would say most of you have. And you may not be ready to answer that question for whatever reason. But if you are, if you would say, Tim, that's enough. Like, I'm, I, I'm ready to put my faith in Jesus. I believe he loves me. He died for me. He forgives me. And I want to accept his invitation to abundant, eternal life. We would love to help you with that. We would love to pray with you. We would love to get you some resources. You can use the connection card. You can talk to the person who came with you or who invited you. You can talk to the person who invited you online. You can find one of our pastors. We would love to have that conversation with you because we believe it's the whole deal. It's the whole thing. Jesus is it. What are you going to do with him? What have you done with him? If you would believe, somebody came back from the dead. Why don't you believe? Let's pray. Father in heaven, this, um, this isn't really that much different than anything else. We, we're constantly looking for evidence, always looking for, for evidence to help us know what we know that we know. And we read some of this evidence in Scripture. We read evidence outside of Scripture. We, we even have modern-day stories of people coming back from the dead, and, and some of us are still unconvinced. And so I, my prayer is that you would just soften our hearts to the evidence that's around us. Would you help us to hear that still, small voice in our hearts? Would you give us a sense of your love and grace? It's available through your son. And, 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 and for everybody here, anybody here, anybody watching online that feels that tug on their heart, that they believe, they, they trust that you are who you say you are, and they're ready to make you their leader and forgiver, would you give them the courage to have that conversation with you, even right here in this moment? Give them the wisdom to admit they're a sinner, to ask for forgiveness, to place the full weight of their life on Jesus. Would you send your, your spirit to anyone and everyone who prays that? Would you send your spirit to all of us who have already prayed that, who have already placed our trust in you? As we sang earlier, we need you. We need you today. We need you tomorrow. We need you every day. Jesus, thank you for forgiving sin by beating death on our behalf. Thank you for the promise of what you're gonna do in the future. God, would you help us to fix our eyes first and foremost on you? Would you help us to live today in light of eternity? And in the end, this is about your kingdom. It's about your power. It's about your glory and about our good. And I ask all this, we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Get us your questions about hell, and we'll answer those in two weeks. Next week is heaven. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. You're dismissed.